thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends, to another episode of the BJJ Brick Podcast. This week, we've got an interview with Ryan Hall. We're excited to bring him to you. He's got lots of great advice for you, and, and it's interesting to catch up with him and what he's up to. How are you doing today, Gary? I'm doing great. How about you, Byron? Doing good. Doing real good. It's, it's, it was a great time talking with Ryan, and I think we both uh, really enjoyed that and learned a little bit about what he's doing and got some great philosophies from him, and we've, we've both benefited a lot from his uh, DVDs he's put out. So that's, that was real fun to talk with him. Yeah, you know, he's kind of always been, you know, somebody I've always watched from day one. He's uh, probably the guy I've watched more than anything. You know, I've kind of tried to tailor my game. The stuff he does works for my game. And and as Byron said, we've we've watched uh, all his DVDs and practiced him and and really helped us a lot. He explains it a little bit more than uh, the average person, uh, the average DVD out there, it seems like. And it helps me understand the concepts not just the move. I would agree. Yeah, we've we've had a lot of good times um, training with the TV in front of us and uh, hammering out those DVDs. Yep. <laughs> it's been very helpful. <laughs> Definitely. And then uh, we also talk a little bit with him about his uh, restaurant scene incident. I'm sure most of you are aware of when he got into a little scuffle with a, a right individual. So that was entertaining to hear him uh, re- talk about that and talk about what could have gone differently or what he might have done. Or, um, should the situation have been different? So it's a fun interview. Let's take a minute, Gary, to thank our sponsor, FujiSports.com. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, Fuji is uh, kind enough to offer uh, any of our listeners 10% off uh, any purchase they make at uh, FujiSports.com. Uh, just put in the uh, coupon code BJJBRICK and the BJJ and the B at the start of BRICK are all capitalized. And, um, you know, definitely take advantage of that. They're great company, great product, uh, stylish, functional. Everything is awesome through Fuji Sports. Absolutely. And if you swing by there, if you're a competitive competitor in jiu-jitsu, check out the lightweight gi. Um, very light, very durable, great for, com- for competing when you have to weigh in with your gi on. It's not going to add, like, a bunch of bunch of weight to you and, and bump you up a class. That would be terrible. Uh, it's simple, it's stylish, and, and very functional. So, uh, so you know, and I also out. use that lightweight gi for summertime. Uh, you know, here in Kansas, it's regularly over 100 degrees, as it was today in the start of May. And um, so uh, it really makes it easier for me to train. Uh, I'm not having as heavy of a gi, making me sweat more, making me overheat. So uh, I really love the, the lightweight gi for summer training. Absolutely. Keep you from uh, getting a heat stroke. Train, you train so hard. <laughs> It's never good when you're trying to tap somebody out with heat stroke. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Last week we had an interview with uh, Stephen Whittier. Uh, If you missed it, swing by, go back and check that one out. Um, But we were fortunate enough he gave us a quote of the week for this week. So we'll go ahead and roll that. So uh, I believe this was attributed to Hickson, but uh, it it could be somebody else, and everybody loves to uh, attribute awesome quotes to Hickson, but um, <laughs> I, I think it was um, just when you think you have all the answers, I'll change all the questions. So I think that's kind of a good one. 
because not only is it badass, but it's also got a good, uh, it's got a good wisdom behind it. And that's, that's kind of the nature of jujitsu, right? Um, in terms of, uh, the, I think it fits in well, not just technically, but also in terms of the, the idea of the concepts that, that underlie all the, all the technique. Well, the, the easy understanding of it is that, you know, just when you think you, you have yeah. a read on what I do and on the mat, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to start flipping it up on you and kicking your ass with things I haven't shown you yet. Um, that's the <laughs> badass part. I think the deeper understanding is that, um, has to do with the, you know, basically the evolutionary process of jujitsu in yeah. terms of your, your adaptability and why no matter how experienced you are, it's not just it's not just as trite as there's always something more to learn. Like there's always more moves. I think your understanding, if you approach it the right way, gets deeper. So as the art becomes, as the art becomes deeper to you, it also becomes simpler. This is my hope. Um, because ultimately you understand the physics of movement better. And that's what I try and instill on people earlier. So instead of, like, for instance, if you're trying to unravel the puzzle of somebody who's got a good guard, you don't think about, you know, here's a pass and here's a pass and here's a pass. And I got to try this one. Then I got to try this one. Instead, you think about, you know, if I can, for instance, control the, the cylinder for a moment and find this separation between knee and chest, a guard pass exists there. How do you do it? Well, there's all these different possibilities, but ultimately once you kind of figure out how the body moves at any given time, then it's a matter of, you know, you move here to set, to set up there yeah. and then there's separation. Boom. Now I have it. You'll learn much quicker that way. Concept versus just, you know, rote technique. And, um, so that, that I think is, that I think is, is reflected in that. I've, al- I've always thought that's a cool uh, quotation. So yeah, it's kind of like, um, you're not just answering questions in jujitsu. You're, mm-hmm. you're you're dealing with with problems and and realities, and you have to use your fundamentals to 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 deal with anything that that person's going to throw at you, not your expected questions or situations or problems. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yep. That's a cool one. Great quote from uh, Stephen there. That was a lot of fun uh, listening to him break that down for us. Okay, Gary, we've got an article of the week. If you would like to send us an article. Uh, Go ahead and email it to bjjbrick at gmail.com, and we'd be happy to consider anything you guys send us. Uh, usually we stick with, uh, you know, grappling blogs and websites that write articles, but occasionally we venture out to different coaching aspects of uh, of just sports in general. And, you know, Byron's a New York Times reader, so uh, actually that's where he uh, found this one. Yeah, I don't know how – yeah, I'm not no <laughs> – I don't – I'm not regularly reading any newspaper, to be honest, but uh, – Somehow I, I browsed online long enough and I stumbled upon this article and I thought it was interesting. Um, it, yeah, from NewYorkTimes.com. The article is called Losing is Good for You. There'll be a link to this in the notes if you want to read the entire article. Um, it talks about how uh, kids in today's sports, um, they get trophies just for showing up and, and, and just playing. You can get, you get play terrible and you're still going to get a trophy. Um, short term, it's a, it's a nice reward for the kids. Uh, shortly after that, uh, kids still they figure out quickly who's who's actually good and who's not. So really, the the effect of giving them a trophy for showing up, uh, the kids socially figure it out that uh, you know they're not necessarily a star at a, at a certain sport just because you walked out of there with a trophy. But you know, um, the one thing I think it does help, especially early on in the in the career, is 
I think some of the kids may not play or may not play the next year. Um, and that trophy, you know, kind of, some of the kids are, are really excited about that trophy and, and maybe it'll keep them in the sport for another year or two until they start getting better and uh, uh, hopefully they'll they'll grow to enjoy it that way. So I do see one positive out of, out of uh, giving a trophy to, to everybody who, who participates. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point, Gary. Um, you know, not all trophies need to be like the first, second, and third place trophies. Um, in the article, they talk about if um, if there were those, and then had like a best overall trophy, a most improved trophy, and a best sportsmanship. That those are, those are all very appropriate trophies, especially for kids. Um, it's you know it's more important than winning. Having good sportsmanship is is a huge thing when you're in uh, you know when kids are doing sports. That's that to me is a big one. Yeah, you know, and that's really kind of what sports are about besides fun. You know, you, you learn how to uh, behave properly, how to uh, win with dignity, lose with respect, uh, treat everybody with, you know, kindness. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, not only does that help out in sports, but it's going to help out in life in the, in the long long term there. And I also like the uh, Most Improved uh, Award. And, you know, that's a great one because it, it kind of – rewards the person who worked very very hard and uh, you know I was always that guy that nothing really really came natural to me so I had to work a little bit harder than everybody else and, and uh, I just think that, that most most uh, improved is is a great trophy for you know the kid who works hard it's uh, well deserved yeah that's a good point um, it, not all kids have uh, you know neighborhood neighborhood kids to play with or brother or siblings to, to get out there and, and, and play. So they might come in and be pretty terrible uh, at it, basically most sports to begin with. But uh, hard work and dedication, that, that definitely deserves a trophy opposed to um, losing all the time and having a bad attitude and still getting uh, the reward of a trophy. That's that's I think that has a negative effect overall. Yeah, yep. And, you know, I can – you know, my son had played uh, – soccer and you know everybody got a trophy in soccer and seems like every sport he played through the wide no matter who did what they got a trophy but this year you know he turned six and and he started wrestling for a, a local club and and he'd go to tournaments and and he went in place and no trophy and it really didn't bother him you know he, he went the whole year he didn't get a trophy but uh you know he kept getting closer and closer and closer and uh, you know sooner or later he's going to get one and I tell you, when he finally gets that trophy, uh, it's going to be uh, or a medal. It's going to be unbelievable for him. He's he's worked hard and uh, he's getting closer and closer, and, and he's just not nothing's given to him. He's got to go out there and earn it. That's good, and and I think a lot of that as as him not being disappointed and not getting one is what he sees from you, not telling him, "Come on, let's get this get this medal. Come on, make a big deal out of it." You know, from what I've seen from you, if he goes out there and tries hard, that's that's what you want him to do, and and, um, and that's what he gets that reward from you, his dad, of of you being uh, happy that he tried hard, versus getting the reward of the of the medal. Yeah, you know, and and what I really like is one of the wrestling coaches actually told me this, um, no, not my son, but he's like what he would tell his son every time when he got out on the mat was, you can't pick or predict who's going to be in front of you. Uh, you may be going against a guy that's so much higher level skill that it's almost impossible to beat you. So his quote was, I can't, you can't predict who's going to be in front of you. I just want you to go out and, and perform the best of your ability and try your hardest. 
And, you know, when he told me that, that really stuck with me. And, you know, I've tried to, you know, convey that to my son, that, hey, just go out, have fun, try your hardest, whatever happens, happens. If you give your, if you give your all, there's nothing else you can ask for. That's awesome. It seems like wrestling coaches always have great advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really like that, and I took that to heart myself. You know, not just for jujitsu, but really about anything in the world. You know, anything you're going to tackle on your given day. You know, there's always going to be some very hard tasks out there, but, you know, just give it all I have, and whatever happens, happens. There you go. You can't always control the situation you're in, but you can control what you do with that situation. That is true. All right, guys, check out that article, if you, especially if you have kids involved in sports. It's interesting concepts. Um, I'll put a link to it in the notes. Okay, Byron, uh, I think it's time for the main event now. Let's roll on to the uh, Ryan Hall interview. Absolutely, sounds great. All right, everybody, we've got a, an amazing grappler here and an MMA athlete as well, Ryan Hall. How are you doing today, Ryan? Hey, I'm doing great, Byron. How about yourself? Doing awesome. We're, we're excited to have you on the show. I, you know, when we started the show, we we talked about getting you on here. We've had, I think, your episode uh, thirty now. So we waited a little while, so <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> to get you on. But um, you've always had like you've been a target. You know, you've been on our sites for someone to be an awesome interview to have on the show. Cool, man. Well, thank you very much for having me on. Could you? Yeah, we wanted to work out some of the bugs a little bit before we called you. Like I said, uh, you know, you're probably both one of our favorites, and we're like, hey, if we're going to get him on, we're going to be a little bit better than we were on episode one or two. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind being used as a test subject. I screw up eight percent of the time anyway, so I wouldn't worry about it. <laughs> That's funny. Um, we have a lot of a lot of grapplers who are new to the art, white belts and blue belts and stuff. Could you introduce yourself to those guys who may not know who you are? Um, sure. Well, my name is Ryan Hall. Um, I, uh, I own, uh, 5050 Jiu-Jitsu in Falls Church, Virginia, right outside of Washington, D.C. And, uh, I've been training since, oh man, like a little bit into 2004. Um, you know, I've competed all over the world in Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, you know, I've been in Abu Dhabi a number of times. Uh, you know, I've medals in a lot of the IBJJF events at, at all the belts. And, uh, basically, uh, you know, Jiu-Jitsu is something that, that's been pretty much at the center of my life, uh, since I turned, 19 and uh, you know I guess now I've recently kind of moved on into into MMA yeah, and you know it's going great and I'm really enjoying it and training hard and trying to go as far as I can on that angle and uh, yeah I guess that's about that and Ryan you mentioned uh, you own 50-50 in Falls Church uh, Virginia there by DC um, did I happen to read online here recently that you had just uh, opened a new academy or, or new address or changed locations um, well, actually, we, we were based out of Arlington, Virginia, where I'm okay. originally from, um, right okay. outside of uh, D.C., and, and Falls Church is the next town over. There was actually okay. a development company that was tearing down our building, so they uh, informed us that we had better get out, and so we managed to find a spot. And, uh, all things considered, I mean, it was definitely a, a tough one, and I wouldn't have been able to make it work without, you know, my fiance Jen, and uh, my, my really good friend, Seth, uh, who also run the academy here with me, but uh, this facility's down from, like, 2,200 square feet to about 7,000 and, you know, a lot more space, a lot more going on and uh, just trying to do the best we can, but the academy's going great. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, bigger space and uh, can't go wrong with that. That's true. Ryan, for the for the guys who don't, who haven't seen your any videos of you or haven't seen your, you grapple or compete, um, could you describe your game? Uh, a little bit of your jiu-jitsu um, game and a little bit of your MMA game or style? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, well, I, I think, uh, you know, the game has evolved a lot over the years, um, you know, because, uh, you know, initially I was almost entirely guard-based and, you know, inverted guard and triangle and whatnot. Um, 
because, you know, I was competing against, you know, elite level opponents from, from the time when I was about three years into jiu-jitsu. I, I first competed at Abu Dhabi when I'd been training for, oh, yeah, like, uh, like three, three years and change, uh, three, a little less than three and a half years. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, if I'd have been at that point in time, you know, I, I was a really, really big time specialist in, in only a couple of different things because there was no way that I was going to be good enough overall, you know, wrestling opponents of that caliber to be able to, you know, take down guard pass, things like that. Now, not that you could never have it happen, but realistically, if you're doing something for an extended period of time and you're good and I'm doing something for a limited period of time, you're probably going to be a lot better than I was, better than I am. So uh, at, at that time, I was, you know, heavily focused on only a couple things, which I think was, a, a, you know, a very positive thing in a lot of ways because it, it, it forced me to really get a deeper understanding of uh, of certain parts of the game that, that I think, um, you know, allowed me to, to understand later on other parts of the game, you know, in terms of the mechanics of how things work and also how to, hopefully how to develop skill in uh, in, in specific things. But, um you know, as, as time went by, you know, I started to become known for a position called the 50-50. Um, and actually, I coined that phrase because in that one, I'm, I definitely did not invent the position, but I absolutely did coin the phrase. I'm comfortable saying that one because I don't think 50-50 is a uh, Portuguese word. But um, <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, that that was something where, you know, I actually learned that position from uh, Brandon Vera at a, at a seminar. You know, he taught it. Um, and, uh, you know, back at Lord Irvin's Martial Arts, and this was 2005, I think, and he'd... Uh, he taught it, um, and it was called the Kakareko at that point because Dean uh, Lister had used to submit uh, Alexandre Kakareko at, uh, you know, at Abu Dhabi. Um, I think back in '05 that year, and um, you know, it ended up becoming a really featured part of my game. Something that um, was able to, you know, I really hopefully help innovate a lot. You know, particularly with guys, including guys like the Mendes brothers and Bruno Frazado and, and now the Meows, um, utilizing the position. And, it, and it, you know, kind of it was interesting enough. It made its mark and you know, in jiu-jitsu as a whole and also in MMA now, and it's something that I still use to this day in addition to a lot of other things, but, you know, over time, you know, I guess my game has rounded out to doing all sorts of things and, uh, you know, a lot of wrestling, a lot of soul, a lot of, you know, flaws and whatnot and things like that. Uh, always been kind of a submission-oriented, get-after-it kind of grappler, you know, because those are the people that I looked up to most and the people that I always wanted to be like and also the, you know, what I believe, you know, to be the core of jiu-jitsu, looking to control and, and, and ultimately finish your opponent. But, uh, yeah, I guess it will be hard to say. I guess, you know, I wouldn't characterize myself as a guard player at this point. Just kind of more, you know, try to do everything and, and try to be as fundamentally sound, uh, you know, in pursuit of winning the fight, wherever that happens to be. And how does that translate to your your MMA game and style? Um, well, um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, I thought it was, it is a little bit amusing to me, honestly, uh, because I think that um, this particularly approach to jiu-jitsu that I, that I use um, or that I've been able to feel comfortable with um, has translated very, very well to MMA and uh, ironically is actually a lot more sound than the uh, good old closed guard, you know, half guard bottom, try to tight pass kind of thing that was, you know, the staple of MMA jiu-jitsu for a very long period of time. I, I, think, I like to think, you know, I guess we'll find out and I'm willing to put my my uh, my melon on the line to see if uh, see if I'm right, uh, but I really believe that a lot of the positions that we're using now, um, you know, are very valid in MMA, you know, at, at all levels. And uh, you know, I look forward to working hard and and, and showing that over time. But uh, when it comes to MMA, you know, always obviously control and fundamentally sound positioning is the most important thing. But being able to use all sorts of variety of guard that people are one uh, not familiar with, two not very very used to dealing with, and three, um, you know, I just happen to be you know more fundamentally sound from a variety of aspects uh, for MMA. Uh, I look forward to seeing what we can do with that. But a lot of you know a lot of Delaheva, a lot of half guard, fifty fifty things like that, and. Uh, you know, when it when it comes to MMA, I, I for the last couple of fights, I I haven't tried to submit anyone. I just wanted to punch guys in the head a lot. 
That's a lot different than jujitsu. <laughs> so trying to get yeah, well, that was actually people ran from me in jujitsu a lot, and that yeah. got really frustrating at the end. You know, like no one, not no one, but very few people would actually make a, an earnest attempt to engage me, um, which was frustrating. Not that they couldn't, just that they wouldn't, and the referees and the rules wouldn't really encourage that. So I thought MMA would be a fun place to be able to chase people around, and there's a wall, so they can only run but so far. <laughs> so you're training. Uh, are, you, are you training at TriStar a lot, or is that a like a back and forth type of a thing? Um, and yeah, well, you know, I mean, I, I've been uh, fortunate enough to train at, uh, at TriStar since uh, off and on since uh, I guess August of uh, 2012, and uh, you know that's been a really good experience and a lot of fun. Although at the moment I'm doing most of my training back home in uh, in Virginia and DC. You know, I've got excellent training, excellent boxing, excellent wrestling, and, and MMA training in the area, and. Uh, you know, it's, it's nice to be home, but obviously, you know, TriStar is a great place, place, and I'm very fortunate to be able to go up there, you know, when, when I need to do that, and uh, and it's a great opportunity to learn from the guys there and, and try to do what I can to help as well. That's cool. What what are your goals for for your MMA career? Um, well, you know, I guess when it comes to goals is just become as, uh, as proficient a fighter as I can be, you know, in all ranges, and I'd like to uh, to go as far as I possibly can, and, you know, I believe that that's very far, but we will... Uh, We'll have to see, you know, I mean, I, I think that the most important thing is recognizing that, you know, winning and losing happens, no matter how good you are. There's yeah. no one that is, you know, no one, no one is, I guess at the core of it all, everyone is a man or a woman that's competing what's going on, which means that no one's perfect. Like, for instance, let's say you were to take Floyd Mayweather, and if you were to ask him in an honest moment, if you were to run it back, maybe not on camera, he probably wouldn't admit it, but, uh, you know, because he's keeping the persona going, but if you were to ask him, if you were to run it back and refight all the fights that he's had, would he likely win them all? Probably not. He might have a loss or something like that on his record, and I don't believe it would make him any less great. What I believe would be important is just the pursuit of excellence and trying to go as far as we can and always improve ourselves. You know, from a you know a technical, a technical, strategic, you know, psychological perspective, and try to become the best fighter and the best martial artist that you can be. Because at the end of the day, you know, you'll win or you'll lose or whatever. But it's really, as far as I'm concerned, there's plenty of people I've seen that win and I'm not very impressed and other people that I see that I that have lost and I'm extremely impressed and other people that I see that, that win and I'm very impressed. So it really comes down to are you preparing properly? Are you putting your whole heart into it and are you really working hard to do your best? And if that's what you're doing that I feel at the end of the day that's what I would be comfortable with because a lot of things, if being in jiu-jitsu taught me one thing, it's that uh, you know, particularly dealing with referees in a number of cases, is you can't control the outcome of everything. You can only control how hard you prepare, um, how how much dedication you show, how much you care, and, and you know how you com- and how you conduct yourself. You know, both in training and and also you know on the matter in the ring. And uh, you know, I guess what's most important to me is just doing the best that I can and going as far as I can. And you know, obviously, I, I have goals to try to be as you know as, as successful as possible. I want to fight in the UFC one day and test myself against the best athletes possible. But uh, when it comes to specific beat this guy, beat that guy, I, I just want to be as good as I can be. And Ryan, uh, you were talking about in jiu-jitsu, everybody's running from you, and that's kind of how you got into MMA. Not not everybody, but most well, people. Yeah, not, yeah, so, yeah sorry, uh, let me rephrase that. Uh, a lot of people, most people were running from you. Um, do you mm-hmm. have any uh, goals to get back into jiu-jitsu, or are you sticking totally with MMA right now? Well, actually, I'm really happy to say that I, that I just started competing again in jiu-jitsu. Um, you know, nothing oh, big, awesome. but uh, was uh, you know been able to compete uh, again a little bit at, at two U.S. grappling tournaments. Just you know, kind of small things in the area, but it, it's pretty cool because um, uh, you know when I when I first got my black belt, you know there was no, and you know certainly when I was Carmel Brown, there was no New York Open and 
you know, Chicago Open and blah, 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 and all these different opportunities to compete. And if you went to a local tournament, I mean, there was, uh, you know, not a lot of guys would show up. I mean, I remember when I was back on, you know, Team Lord Urban and whatnot, a lot of the guys, a lot of us coming up, you know, the purple and brown belts competed a whole ton. And uh, we competed against a lot of other black belts that, you know, eventually, you know, kind of stopped competing, unfortunately. And by the time we got up to, uh, we got up to their belt rank, you know, we would wrestle the nogi, you know, back in the day, but then you get up to their belt rank and they'd be pretty scarce uh, when it came to the tournament. So what was really frustrating was there wasn't a whole lot of opportunity. So let's say I could go to the Pan Ams, I could fly to the Brazilian Nationals, or I could go to the Worlds, but that was about three real opportunities to compete. And then let's say they had the New York Open, and it was like, okay, cool, but it was just getting started. And you train and you go up there and you do this and that, but it's all for one match, you know, against sometimes great opposition and sometimes, you know, less less tough opposition. And uh, what's really cool now, I think, is that there's so many more. It's been a couple of years now, obviously, I've been in Blackhawk for four years, and uh, there's just so many more people that are at that rank now that the tournaments are just a lot deeper. So even, let's say, I went to U.S. Grappling, I, I was able to get, even, you know, at, at a at a more a smaller tournament, I was able to get two matches each day, you know, and in my weight class, and that was a lot of fun. And, you know, just a couple of years back, that would have been absolutely impossible. So, I mean, I'm definitely looking forward to returning to Jiu-Jitsu. I, you know, I had that opportunity to do a Meta Morris match against Rafael Mendez and then had a bunch of opponent changes, and then it was going to be Bill Cooper, and then I separated my shoulder, which was really, you know, that was a bummer, and that was, uh, you know, it was unfortunate I wasn't able to compete. But I'm, I'm really hoping maybe if uh, they would have me back, I would love to do a match there, and I'm working hard. I got invited to ADCC in 2013, but uh turned down the slot just because I wasn't, you know, I wanted to focus on MMA, but... uh you know, at this point, I'm really looking forward to getting back into jiu-jitsu as well. And I think that, you know, kind of at the point I'm at at the moment, I feel like I can compete in both successfully. Um, and I uh, really would like to try to earn my way back into there. So hopefully at Metamorphs or ADCC would ever have me back, I would be absolutely thrilled to compete. Does the, the I'd imagine the intensity of, of your MMA workouts is, is higher than the typical uh, grappling workout. Is that is that true or is that, am, I, am I wrong there? Um, I'd say it depends. Um, you know, uh, like, like would it help you win scrambles better and, 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 and do that sort of like push the pace? Like, no, I mean, not, uh, not really? the, the level that I was competing at in jujitsu, the athletes are 10 times tougher than the athletes that I'm competing against in MMA. Okay. Moment, to be honest, you yeah. know, it's a different sport for sure. And, you know, people are tough in different ways and different skill sets and whatnot. But, uh, it's definitely harder to prepare for like a Rafael Mendez yeah. or Jeff Glover than it is to prepare for, you know, a lower level MMA fight. That doesn't mean that anything is taken for granted or that you couldn't, you know, that people aren't tough or whatnot. But just in terms of the level of technical skill of, of each athlete, it's not even in the same universe. So I, I think, uh, you know, one day, you know, it, it can be pretty tough. I would imagine, you know, I've never fought top level MMA, you know, but one day, you know, um, you know, I want to work my way there. Uh, you know, I'm going to work very hard and, and hopefully that occurs. Uh, you know, I want to work my way there. Um, then it'll be certainly tougher to, to do both. But at the moment, you know, I, I think uh, if anything, jiu-jitsu is a higher level sport than MMA until you get to the very, very top level. And it's it's no surprise to me for the same reason that wrestling guys come into MMA and are highly successful because, frankly, the sport is much tougher until you get to the top, top level because, and even then, um, just because it's so much more developed, you know, there's so many more athletes, the talent pool is bigger, you know, it's it's much more difficult to be, let's say, for instance, a wrestling, you know, gold medalist at the Olympics than it is to be an MMA world champion. Both are very, very difficult, but one is just an infinitely more established sport. So I, I think that, you know, with, with jiu-jitsu being the way that it is, um, you know, in many ways, I, I found that more challenging, you know, and, and, but it's a different type of challenge for sure. You don't feel like your MMA training will, will change or negatively affect your your grappling ch- training? 
Um, well, I think in some regards, for sure, it's a different focus. You know, um, you have to you have to be more focused on holding people down and whatnot, and the, rather than you know transitioning. But in a lot of ways, it was some of the same problems that I was experiencing in jujitsu, where people wouldn't wouldn't meaningfully engage for more than like one move before jumping away. Um, you know, it, it's that's something that that you'll find in MMA all the time. Let's say, for instance. Um, you know, like this is, let's say for instance, Floyd Mayweather came into MMA, and this is this reminds me of the, the ridiculous, you know, Ronda Rousey versus Floyd Mayweather thing where let's get serious, she would get starched. But, um, you know, uh, or let's say for instance, Floyd Mayweather came into MMA and people were going to stand up and strike with him. Um, I don't really care if there's kicks. I would bet on Floyd 10 times out of 10, you know, if they were going to stand up. But, um, you know, if, let's say for instance, they can take him down, obviously it's very, very different. But, uh, you, you know, from... Uh, certain perspectives, you know, I mean, MMA training is, it's, it's absolutely different because you have to, you have different focuses because the goals of the athletes are different. You know, like when you're on the bottom, no one's camping out there trying to play their X guard. They're going to get back up and they're going to take a shot on the way up if they need to. And then they'll pop you on, I guess. But, um, and, you know, once they get back to the feet, so you have to be more focused on holding them down and landing effective strikes rather than, you know, trying to do, you know, trying to pass the guard or whatnot because it may not always be in your interest. But, uh, you know, I, I would say that, you know, it's just, it's different, but again, I can only speak to have, to what I know. I, I don't know what it's like to compete against top-level MMA guys, and I guess I'll uh, cross that bridge when I one day come to it. But uh, it, I think that the biggest difference is simply you, you lose the sensitivity for certain transitions, and you pick up sensitivity for others, because the other thing is that you'll get reactions that are very, very different You know, in MMA. One, because the goals of the athletes are different, and, and the dangers are different, but too, because, you know, someone that's at a really, really high level in jiu-jitsu is going to move very, very differently than a blue belt or a purple belt. Um, you know, and, and the reality is, is that, you know, with MMA fighters having to split all of their time in different directions, um, you know, they just, they don't have that skill, particularly not in the bottom position. So, you know, the way that they move and the choices they make are very, very different. And I think that's, that's where a lot of the difference lies because passing a guard of someone like Rafael Mendez is going to be a completely different approach than, than being able to successfully hold down and pass the guard of, of someone that's, uh, more MMA oriented. That makes a lot of sense. We see a lot of a lot of guys do really well in jiu-jitsu and then transition to MMA. And some do well, some don't do as well. What would be, in your opinion, one of the bigger mistakes that, that a, that a jiu-jitsu guy would be making and not, not doing correctly? Um, I mean, you know, I, again, I, I, I'm not really established very much in MMA. I've only had four fights, so I can, um, you know, I, I hesitate to really throw my weight around yeah. opinion wise, but, uh, you know, I would say some people, you got to understand it's a fight, you know, and yeah. some people are not, but that was something that I always thought of in jujitsu. You know, I, I kind of came up at, a, at an earlier time in jujitsu where the guys weren't nowhere near as good as they are now, you know, um, like I think there's been a massive increase in the skill level of, of everyone in jujitsu, but the feel of a lot of things is it's a lot less of a fight. Jiu-Jitsu become a much more white collar sport than it ever was. And, uh, I think that a lot of people that get into it now are into it because, oh, yeah, you can grapple, you can do your thing. It's like, oh, I'm going to go do martial arts or I'm going to go join the health club. Whereas back in the day, if you found jiu-jitsu, it was because you saw Royce Gracie beating people up in the, in the UFC. And you're like, yeah, I want to be able to do that. And uh, it was it's just, again, maybe, again, the technical level is incredibly high compared to how it was on the average. Of course, the best were always phenomenal. But um, it's a different feel, and if you go into an MMA fight thinking that you're going to, like, oh, I'm going to out-technique this person, this, that, the other, yeah, you may be ready, but they can punch you in the face, they can kick you, they can do all these other things that are not valid in jiu-jitsu. You know, a fight is not a who's most technical contest, you know? It's a, 
So it, it takes, you have to be grittier and things like that. And I think it takes a certain, not necessarily a certain type of person. No, I mean, in reality, it's just a certain type of person a little bit to get involved in it and be serious. But uh, it takes a certain understanding, like un- a comfort with being hit. Not that that's your goal, but, you know, like that it's going to happen and who cares. Because some people, you, you hit them and it doesn't really shake them. And other people, you hit them and you see their eyes go all wide. Like they're like, what the heck just happened here? And, uh, you know, so I would just say, you know, train with competent people and learn and, and do your best. But, uh, you know, only get involved in it if it's something that you want to do. Because if you don't really want to be in there, I can only imagine that you'll find a way out. Like whether it's getting knocked out, tapping, quitting, whatever. You know, um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that a lot of people, particularly with the skills that they have in jiu-jitsu, could be extremely successful, provided that they remember it's a fight, not a grappling match, and don't just go out there and try to grapple people. And, Ryan, we've been talking about uh, your MMA career here, um, and just a few minutes ago you were talking about you're getting ready for a fight. Who, or uh, when is your next fight, and who are you fighting? Uh, well, my next fight is in uh, Chicago, uh, or either, I guess, Hamden, Indiana, right inside of Chicago. Um, and I'm fighting a, a guy named Terry House. Uh, he's got a bunch of fights, I guess, and a bunch of amateur fights as well. Um, he's a tough guy, and, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it, training hard. Uh, I'll be ready to, to do my absolute best in the fight, you know, on the 31st. Um, and, you know, I, I had a rack of people back out of me for this one. I had, had a rack of people back out of me for the last one. The last fight, actually, I was against a guy named uh, Leo Perez. Um, who is O and O is a pro, but I guess six and two is an amateur, which is you know in certain states more or less the same, and in the state that he was in, more or less the same. But that was after like three guys or ten or twelve fights just said they would take it and then dropped out. It's been a little bit difficult getting fights, to be honest, uh, which is I don't know strange to me because I kind of would have figured after all the nonsense that people talked back in the day about how I couldn't fight or couldn't do this or that that there'd be people lining up to punch me in the face. But I guess they're a little less ballsy <laughs> when they actually think that I might hit them back and might break their legs. <laughs> Uh, and uh, is this going to be streamed anywhere where uh, our listeners could watch it? Do you know? Um, I, I think, well, it's going to be up on uh, Go Fight Live. Um, oh, okay. I think it's GSL. I'm not sure of the website, but I know it'll be up okay. there. And, uh, okay. So this will actually be the first one that's made the, the Internet, I guess. So hopefully uh, I can avoid embarrassing myself, <laughs> and then uh, uh, and we'll see uh, see how it goes. But, um, you know, I feel training is going great. I'm going to get to close out the camp with uh, Miguel Torres up in uh, – up in Chicago as well, just the last week there, you know, like I was going to friend for a while and, and uh, you know, I'll be able to train with him and kind of, you know, polish for the last little bit. And I'm, I'm very, feeling very lucky. I'm actually going down to train with uh, Stephen Wonderboy Punchin and uh, his team in South Carolina uh, next week. Uh, and I'm very, very excited to do that. Obviously, Steve is uh, one of the, you know, best kickboxers ever to come into MMA. He's fantastic. I'm really excited to get down there and have the opportunity to train with, you know, such high level people. And they're really nice, great people as well. So, uh, yeah, working hard for this one and, and looking forward to the future. I want to fight two more times this year in addition to this fight. So that'd be uh, four fights for the year? Uh, yeah, that'd that be four fights for okay. the year, yeah. It's been, initially, like last year, I only fought once, but, you know, I separated my shoulder and then had a rack of other people back out, you know, so oh, yeah. again, it's, I, I never understood backing out of fights. I could understand not taking a fight. Like, let's say someone's like, Ryan, you want to fight Jose Aldo? I'm like, let me think. No, not right now. <laughs> like, one day, if I get good enough and I've my way, sure. But right now, that wouldn't be a good idea. But uh, if you're going to sign up, just show up. Yeah. Or if you don't want to show up, then don't sign up. But I never understood the mentality of, I'm going to sign up, get my name on the poster, and then with you know, 15 days left or 10 days left or a month left, go, oh, shit, this guy's going to punch me in the face, and then <laughs> then quit. But that's just me. That's one of the, I think that's one of the most frustrating things for for fighters, for coaches, for, no question. for, the, for the business, is just guys 
backing out. Yeah, it's it's a shame, but I guess if it's the nature of the game, you know, I mean, and the reality is that, you know, at, at this level in MMA, you know, if you're doing it for a living, you obviously train, you know, martial yeah. arts or compete in martial arts, you know, like in something else for a living because, you know, making $1,000, $1,500 to fight is certainly not sustaining you alone. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think that it's a job for most of the guys at this level. And as a result, you know, I, I guess I can understand being a little hesitant to get in against you know, someone, let's say, I don't know, someone had an incredibly high level of boxing pedigree. I can understand people not wanting to fight that guy because they won't have all their teeth at the end of the night. How much of your, your current MMA is you going in the cage trying to win versus you going in the cage, gaining experience and, and becoming a better MMA athlete? Well, I think uh, I, I think I really try to focus on the second because uh, this is something that I, that I will say that I got from Jiu-Jitsu was... Uh, you know, the only tournaments that really mattered to me were the World Championships, the Brazilian Nationals, the Pan Ams, and Abu Dhabi. And, of course, everything else, you know, you want to win, and there's certain matches that are very important to win, and if you get to wrestle somebody really tough, you go on to win. But everything is ultimately uh, to learn, because, really, you could have 25 medals from Naga and Grappler's Quest, or you could have one medal from ADCC. I know which one I would pick. Um, you know, and I know this is something that, you know, I used to compete. I remember when I was blue and purple, I would do sometimes like 30 tournaments a year. And, you know, you can't be at your best at all times, but you're you're learning an incredible amount. Every now and then someone that otherwise probably wouldn't get a win over you or might pick up a win, you know, whether they finish or they just kind of squeak by you or something like that. And, you know, and a lot of the people, and a lot of people will kind of go, oh, man, look at who beat so-and-so. But the reality is that that was just a practice tournament for you, and you were using it to get ready for a tournament that the person that that you were wrestling against probably probably is not really gearing up for. So, I mean, for instance, my last fight, um, you know, against uh, Leo Perez, I put him in a bunch of submissions and then let him out so that I could continue punching him in the head. And, uh, you know, I, I think that probably people thought, like, oh, my God, so-and-so got out of a triangle. Oh, my God, so-and-so got out of a heel hook. And, you know, but at the end of the day, all that really matters is, I think, is learning and becoming the better fighter in ring time. And, and obviously there's a little bit of a risk there because you never know. Who knows? He could have landed a head kick or something like that. And then, have a big old cut and the uh, fight ends. But, uh, you know, I think what would be a shame would be having eight or nine fights, that, you know, and then you get into a higher level, whether, you know, UFC or whatever, and now you're facing guys with 25 fights and you have all of 15 minutes of ring experience because you just ran out there and heel hooked everyone. So, um, you know, I, I feel like that's that's something that, that a lot of lower-level athletes in my experience don't understand. You know, actually, I, I competed at a, a U.S. grappling tournament, my first one back, and, you know, in my second match, I, I triangled the kid, you know, immediately uh, in the first probably 30 seconds of the match and then mounted him with the triangle and then got out, and, you know, let him out rather. And then uh, just to continue the match because I said, oh, well, this is my first one on the back. I'm feeling pretty rusty. I'd, I'd love to actually have a match here rather than, you know, 30 seconds and then walk away and go, yeah, I got a medal, but who cares? I didn't get any experience. And I remember, I, I you know, I don't know, I... It didn't. Uh, it seemed obvious to me that you know that that was what was occurring. But uh, you know, for whatever reason, the individual in question was so sure that they had a magical triangle defense. But you know, I, I guess <laughs> at the end of the day, all that really mattered, which was very strange to me, because I always thought like it's like the Occam's razor thing. It's like, what's more likely? You you forgot how to do a rear naked choke, or I escaped the rear naked choke. <laughs> it's like so basically like you know, or you know, you let me out. So basically like. Uh, all right, what, what are you going to do? But at the end of the day, I think, you know, at this level, the most important thing to do is, is to gain experience and to work hard and to try to become a better fighter. Because, again, you, you've seen so many times guys, you know, particularly guys from a jiu-jitsu background, because you can submit people very, very quickly a lot of times. They go in there, they mow through people like a buzzsaw, 
and then they get to a level of guy that, that you can't do that to because, you know, up in the UFC, the guys are good or they're more experienced or they're whatever. And then they say, oh, shit, this is the first time I've actually had to kickbox in the real fight. <laughs> you know? <laughs> this is, oh, man, this is the first time I've actually had to go and put together my wrestling and my strikes in a real fight. And uh, that's something that, you know, that I was speaking personally, you know, being 29 years old, I feel like I have enough time to be successful and to accomplish what I want to accomplish, but certainly no time to mess around. And I don't have time to get into a, you know, work hard and then get to a high level and then be a little bit successful and then get bounced out and then work my way back in. So I guess, uh, yeah, like you said, I, I would feel more comfortable using these earlier fights to gain a great deal of experience and still try to finish because, and I was able to do that in my last fight actually, because the second someone said one minute left in the third round, I went, Oh shit, I don't want to have a decision on my record and immediately finish the guy. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I guess, so I guess that's what we've been trying for. How much of your, of your, with, with an ultimate goal of someday, um, getting in the UFC and, and competing at that level, how much of, of your path to that is having a, having a great record, having, having a lot of finishes, having, um, being a character, I mean, people know who you are. That helps, I'm sure, a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I've never really been watched for for going and, and being kind of a clown. You know, I guess I'm a little bit yeah. fortunate. Well, I, I'm not trying to say clown, but 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 people know know your name. They they know uh, what you're good at. You know, you're you're a recognizable face in in a large part of the of the grappling community and, and a lot of MMA, I'd imagine. Um, I'm sure that all helps. Yeah, you. I, I think I think that's extremely fortunate, honestly. Like you know, um, that that's one thing that absolutely you know I'm very grateful for. I guess getting into the MMA world, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll have to get there on my own merit. That's for sure. Yeah. But um, it, it certainly couldn't hurt to have you know some people have uh, having some level of awareness, um, you know, of the fact that I am fighting and hopefully uh, you know working hard and doing well. And uh, you know, so hopefully you know I will. I don't really want, I want to make sure that I earn every step of the way. I don't want any gifts and I don't want any handouts. I want to be able to look back, like I said, you know, kind of in the beginning, uh, looking back on the end of the career, jujitsu-wise and also MMA-wise and say, yeah, you know, I mean, whatever I accomplished, I worked hard and I accomplished it. And, uh, and, I, and again, I was better than some, probably lesser than others, but, you know, everything that I did, I, I worked my best for and, and performed to the best of my ability. And as opposed to, let's say, for instance, I don't know, at the end of your life, you sit down, like, let's say you meet your creator, if that's what you believe in, and you say, and you walk up to him, her, or it, and you're like, hey, I was four-time Abu Dhabi champion and UFC champion, and I can't imagine that that would give you a lot of peace if he's here, it went and said, hey, uh, yeah, man, but you were lazy, dude. You were supposed to be eight-time champion, and you were supposed to be undefeated in the UFC, and you were lazy. You know, or let's say, for instance, you walk up and you say, man, I never really, I never really got, I never was champion, I never was this, or I, I did my best and I performed to the best of my ability and, you know, everything that you gave me, I used. That's it. You know, I, I was better than some, lesser than others. Rather than listing titles, you're just like, hey, I, I left nothing on the table. I would tend to think that that would be the more, you know, um, the more desirable of two scenarios because really ultimately none of us can control you know the gifts that we're given or the things that we accomplish we can control our level of effort our level of dedication and whether our heart's in the right place and things like that and you know things will take their course but uh you know at the end of the day i just want to make sure that i work really really hard try to finish every single fight be the best that i can be and i hope that that ends me in the ufc and i hope that that ends me doing very well there one day i'm excited to see to see you uh, continue on your mma career that's that sounds uh like you've got a good good mindset towards your fights and thank you and, and good uh Training attitude. It's exciting. Thank you. Let's talk. You mentioned Meta Morris. Um, 
do you want to talk about the most recent Man Morris a little bit? Sure. We've got. Um, I thought. I'll start again. With with uh, with Eddie Bravo, um, technically I guess it was a draw, but with with such control over that match. I'm sure we're going to see a, a barrage of uh, techniques and, and ex- explanations of how he's able to accomplish this. But how much of that was yep. was his was the superior techniques, or how much of it was he's done these techniques for I don't know 20 years, and and that's what he's he's like you said a specialist in those little things, and, and um, was able you to. You know, I mean, I thought that I thought that Eddie wrestled really really well. I mean, as you said, it was a draw by the technical rules, but by any normal standard, there was no draw, and we all know who won. Um, but uh, I, I'll say, you know, I was interested. I thought his, I thought his half guard looked good. I, I was surprised, honestly, um, with the way that Hoyler approached the game. Yeah. You know, because you're, you're walking into the. I'm sure Eddie's got other positions that he uses as well, but you're walking directly into the teeth of the one thing that he obviously knows how to do extremely well. Um, and here's the other thing: it's like you know, it's, for instance, like when people would say, "All right, let's say I want to." I want to go and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have my hypothetical competition match against Roger Gracie in the match now really big. And I'm like, oh man, I've been drilling mountain defense. Whoever it is that I've got trying to mount me is not Roger Gracie. Yeah. You know, it's not going to be the same. You know, again, it's like being like, oh man, I've got my buddy doing the Philly Shell defense. I'm ready for Mayweather. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? You know, it's going to be at a level that, that's just different. You know, they're, the way they're going to grab you, the confidence they're going to have, the feel is going to be different. And as a result, you're like, all right, you know, I can go into the teeth of this if I want to make a point and try to say, see, I told you it doesn't work. And that was something I was kind of curious to see if Hoyler would attempt to do. Or I can say, all right, well, clearly this person's got something. All right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to try not to mess with it for very much. And I'm going to stay out of there and I'm going to pressure them to different sides. You see a little, a little bit more of like a Leo Vieira, a very strategic approach. And, you know, um, and I would have kind of honestly expected that, like pass to the offside, do something other than the cut. But I thought that Eddie wrestled really, really well. I mean, but uh, at the same time, I think it's intellectually dishonest what people are saying because it's like, oh, it's proof of this or proof of that. No, it's not. In my opinion, it's not proof of anything other than the fact that Eddie's a good grappler and that the techniques that he was using in that situation were absolutely valid and that Hoyler is a very tough dude whose knee probably hurts a lot right now. But, um, you know, I mean, these guys are 50 years old, one of them. 40, 48, something like that, 46. Yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, it was it was interesting for sure. And I thought it was a great match and in, very, in every way probably the best match of the event. But for people to say that, that somehow vindicated, like again, a match 10 years later against someone that hasn't competed in a decade vindicates anyone of anything. Uh, I don't, for instance, that would be like saying, see, I told you Joe Lewis, or rather uh, Joe Frazier was no good. Look, Muhammad Ali's still alive. And that knockout, therefore, doesn't count. You know, I didn't think that it diminished. I wouldn't have thought that a win by Hoyler would have diminished Eddie's accomplishment the first time in any way. And I don't think that uh, Hoyler managing to beat Eddie, or rather uh, Eddie managing to beat Hoyler this time out, you know, rather validated in any way because they're not the same people that they once were. Obviously, uh, Hoyler has, or rather Eddie's improved significantly from that time. And that was something that I think that, people in a lot of ways didn't take into account or wouldn't take into account. Um, you know, he's stayed in shape. He's trained a lot. He's, you know, tough guy, worked hard and whatnot. And, you know, the, the rematch benefited Eddie massively, you know, it, it pretty much every single edge that could go his way did more time to practice, more experience, more, you know, staying in the game more. And on top of that being younger, which when you're talking about that type of age, you know, absolutely matters. 
So I, at the same time, I thought Eddie wrestled really, really well, and I was really impressed, and I thought it was a great match. But, uh, you know, for people to try and uh, – I think sometimes people with an agenda will try to make something to be something that it isn't. And that was – that's a little bit – you know, I, it just kind of raises a red flag in my mind where someone says, see, I told you 10th Planet was valid, where it's like, no, dude, Eddie's always been a good grappler. Now, is he better than Leo Vieira? I don't believe so. But does that mean that he's not a good grappler or couldn't beat Hoyler on a given day? Absolutely not. But do I still think that the match back in the day was a little bit fluky? Sure. If I, I think if they would have wrestled five minutes later, Hoyler would have likely won again. But at no point in time was Eddie Bravo a poor grappler. He earned his way to Abu Dhabi, beat Gustavo Dantas in the prior round. He's always been excellent. And I think that it's almost a function of people not giving him his due over the years that, uh, that he's been given, I guess, a little bit more than he deserved for this one, in my opinion. How much of it is a function of of him promoting his style of like like the backlash he gets a little bit him promoting this is how to do this and then a lot of the jiu-jitsu community doesn't really like that you know but like like you're saying before being a specialist you could, you you could hone in and and if the guy plays into your game it's it's going to go great for you like like when you were purple belt doing all the triangles everybody if guys would have pulled yep. guard on you before you got before you got your guard, how would those have went? Oh man, at, at that time, well, by the time I was able to win the worlds of purple belt, if they pulled guard on me, I was I was good enough to not get swept even by for the most part by yeah. the good guys, you know, with the other good guards. But it's not like I was mowing through anyone's guard. And and I believe you're absolutely right. It's, it's honestly, at least for me, the match that I think would have been uh, more, would be the most appropriate analogy for the Eddie situation is when I managed to beat uh, Rafael Correa, like uh, Gugino at Abu Dhabi. He was black belt world champ at middle heavyweight and. I think I was a lightweight, featherweight kind of, you know, purple belt at the time. And I ended up putting him in 50-50. Who was the better grappler? Him. No question. Absolutely him in probably almost every single position except for that. And I was able to catch him there. And he actually tore my shoulder, you know, inside of the 50-50 with a Kimura. I just remember thinking, if I tap, I'm going to kill myself. So I wrenched my arm out <laughs> and, and managed to pop his knee. You know, I, was like, I was like, good Lord, I'm in my own position. If I tap in my own position, yes, I recognize he's much better than me. But, all right, would I rather shoot myself or have a torn shoulder? Like, all right, I'd rather have a torn shoulder. So yeah. I pulled my shoulder out. It really hurts. It still hurts today. And, um, and ended up heel-hooking him. If we would have wrestled again a week after that, for, let's say magically both of us, his knee was better and my shoulder was better. If we would have wrestled again a week after that, I would, I would bet that he would have kicked my ass no problem. You know, again, could I have caught him 50-50 again? Potentially. If he tried to make a, make a, you know, like a little bit of a, a point and jump back into the 50-50 and win, well, then I might have well got him again. But the reality was that he was the much better grappler. Now, if we were to grapple today, who does that benefit? Me. Massively. Because, again, I've had a plenty of time to improve. I've stayed way more active than he has. I trained with, you know, whatever, and I've been able to accomplish some level of thing. He's gotten a little older, and let's say we were to have a match now, and I were to win. And then people to say, see, it wasn't a fluke. Well, that would be, I think that would be disingenuous. I don't think that that would be an accurate line of thinking. So, but back to, back to your question about the Ten Planet stuff, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of validity to a lot of the things that they do. I think that, you know, obviously Eddie's an excellent grappler, but I think that Jiu-Jitsu is a results-driven sport. And yeah. so is every other art. Every, everything that actually, you know, progresses and does well over the course of, of life, in my experience, is competitive, is competition-based, where... If I'm going to make a statement, I have to stand behind my words. Like, I have all sorts of different beliefs about MMA and Jiu-Jitsu, and I'm more than willing to put my ass on the line. Now, if I'm not willing to do that, or if I'm only willing to do that with my rules, my whatever, 
then you have to, I believe that you should question the validity of what I'm saying, or at the very least, you know, kind of raise an eyebrow and just say, all right, well, whatever, Ryan, you know, like until you or someone that you are putting out there proves these things, then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll listen to what you have to say, but I'm not going to give it too much weight. And that's my thing where I don't believe that, you know, anything, well, what occurred, you know, between Hoyler and Eddie proved much beyond the fact that Eddie's an excellent grappler. And Hoyler's a very tough dude, and Eddie wrestled phenomenally well, and he used positions like the lockdown, which are absolutely valid. And his electric chair sweep, I think, was awesome, and the way he transitioned to the back was awesome. I think he's an excellent grappler. Did he prove the validity of the rubber guard in sport grappling competition? No. What does the rubber guard do, in my opinion? I think the rubber guard is phenomenal for holding someone down and stopping them from punching you. If that was what it were, or stalling the match, which is not always a bad idea, and sometimes it's valid, and does it, uh, you know, is that a bad thing? No. If I advertise pulling you down on top of me and leveling our hips out as something other than a flexibility-based position that's unlikely to get me a lot of traction except against people that are either A, not very good, or B, caught by surprise, and now that's where I think you're starting to overreach. But I think there's, there's validity to all sorts of the positions that, that Eddie teaches and uses. I think he's a great grappler and obviously an innovative instructor. But I will say, you know, when you have an association full of tons and tons of people, if you don't have a lot of competitively successful students, people are going to start to question you. Look how, look how successful, let's say, uh, you know, like the Art of Jiu-Jitsu Academy is or Atos. And now certain things, you know, become self-fulfilling because let's say, for instance, you, you know, let's say 50-50 Jiu-Jitsu got a great reputation. And as a result, I get 25 kids that want to train super hard all the time, some of whom have a great wrestling background. I'm going to have an incredibly successful gym. My guys are going to win Pan Ams. They're going to win the Worlds. I'm going to get all these things. And people are going to say, oh, Ryan's a great coach. When the reality is I may be an okay coach, but I'm also dealing with phenomenal resources. Now, yeah, I think that that happens sometimes, but I can also say that look at like Ted Aday back in the day. Ted Aday, who was a genius, still is, I think. But like he influenced so many of today's best grapplers and influenced in a huge way. I think that he was incredible as a coach. I think he was an incredible instructor and an incredible talent. And, you know, I'm always highly impressed at people that are able to have that type of an impact on someone. But, you know, let's say, for instance, if I train in the Jiu-Jitsu Association, and I'm not naming names, there's, you know, some that, and again, things go in cycles, but if I have 10,000 students and I have four champions, who cares? Does that mean that I'm a better school, that I have a better approach or a better school than, or a better, uh, you know, system or better whatever? Then let's say your academy has 200 people and one champion. And we say, ha, look, we have four champions. I told you we're better than you. Well, yes, we have more champions, but it's the same reason that I, I'm way more impressed with Cuban boxing than almost anywhere else. Because look at Cuba. It's a tiny little country yeah. with limited resources and limited people. And they're, look at how successful they are on an amateur boxing level. They make the United States look bad, honestly. Like as awesome as the United States is an excellent amateur boxing program. But compared to Cuba, when you consider the size of our, the size of our resources and the size of our population, we're kind of pathetic. Yeah. You know, and that doesn't mean that we don't have great boxers. We don't put out great people, but everything is relative. So, I, you know, that was one thing that I think probably rubbed people the wrong way a lot of times. Where, you know, and the reality is, is that, it, to my knowledge, Tenth Planet has never produced like a real A-level jiu-jitsu competitor. You know, I have people that get you know hyped or talked about. But when I think of an A-level jiu-jitsu competitor, I think someone that's been successful on an Abu Dhabi level or something like that. And that doesn't mean that they won't someday. And I think that Eddie obviously has a lot of really valid things to teach. And as they do better and better, I'm sure that they're going to get, you know, get those guys. But, you know, when you make great claims, it requires great proof. Gary and I both have um, watched, let's see, on, on your DVDs, you've got the a Triangle DVD, 50-50, Back Attack, Guard Passing. Am I missing anything? Um, well, let's see. All right, so I guess I think there's seven of them now. 
Holy crap. Oh, man, like, I'm uh, missing a few. Triangle, 50-50, back attack, guard passing, arm triangle. Oh, yeah, I have that one. guard. Yeah, inverted guard. Yeah. That's a new one, isn't it? I've got that, yeah. I like the arm say, triangle Byron, one a lot. Byron, I don't know how you forget about the arm triangle one because uh, ever since you watched that one, you've been arm triangling me every time we roll. Yeah, I, I do it the way you. I, I I still like doing it with just one hand. You, you kind of cup the the armpit, and as you transition over, that thing gets real tight. And you don't. There's never a neck crank. It's always a choke. Cool. That's a little. Right, yeah, that's a little out. little thing that you had in that one. I, yeah. So I guess I've seen those. I, I didn't write those down. Um, if you were to make a, a DVD that was that was focused on uh, getting out of out of. Uh, bad positions not necessarily submissions but escaping positions quickly and what, what would be some of the concepts of that you think ah uh, well that's uh that's i guess it, it would you know it, it would depend but uh you know obviously proper positioning proper structure you know preventing your opponent from from being able to grip you effectively is going to be important maintaining your mobility um you know certain things that, that kind of tie together, I think, most positions um, and, and are important for success in, in any number of things. But, uh, you know, it's a little bit difficult to be specific, but, uh, you know, maintaining proper structure and proper proper positioning at all times is, is, you know, in my experience, ties together all of the really high-level grapplers that I've ever, that I've ever had the, the, the pleasure of training with or competing against in any number of sports. You know, um, gimmicky athletes tend to fade out but they are, you know, the ones that have an ability to maintain proper positioning. Um, you know, even if what they do seems a little bit wacky, uh, you know, those are the ones that are going to be successful. And that's that's an example. Like, say, Eddie's a great example of that. You know, again, he uses some techniques that are a little bit off the wall by some standards for people. But, again, you know, he's a flexible guy and he does some other things. But, obviously, his base positioning is fine. You know, he's able to use these successfully against other high-level athletes. And that's how you can tell that someone is being, that someone is fundamentally sound. So, Really, it all comes back down, as far as I can understand it, to the fundamentals. It always seems like it boils back down to, to getting a strong fundamental base. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think anyone that tells you differently is selling something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your MMA – okay, so let's let's go back a little bit about – your grappling, you had a lot of success at the – I wouldn't say lower levels, but early on um, with having a very specialized game. And then mm-hmm. over time, you got to where you uh, wanted to play a different game and, and you felt that um, you needed to, to get a stronger position. So you kind of ditched – well, I guess you still have a specialized game because, you, you know, the 50-50 in certain positions that you like a lot. But would you say your MMA game, have you found an area to be a specialist in yet or are you still a generalist in that? Um, well, I mean, when you say a specialist, I mean, I think on a certain level, you know, I'll always be by MMA standards, a, a grappling jiu-jitsu specialist because, you know, if you're, if you're at a high level in any one of the, the component sports at MMA, by an MMA standard, you're at yeah. like an astronomically high level, you know, um, at that discipline, you know, like think about Ben Askren, like was he the best wrestler in the world? No, but he was among them. That means he's one of the best wrestlers to ever step foot into an MMA cage. You know, I mean, he's incredibly good, you know, by any standard, both in wrestling and in MMA wrestling. So, uh, you know, but I I really want to try to focus on learning how to, you know, be an effective MMA fighter overall and and really, you know, understand what MMA is. And, and one thing that I, that I do feel um, happy about is, you know, and unfortunate to have is I try, I try to keep a very open mind and do my very best to, uh, 
to, to just see how things, you know, to talk to people and, and also to pay attention to my own observations about how things are going to evolve over time. Because, you know, what, what people think of as MMA today is not what MMA is. You know, I'm, I'm very comfortable saying that. You know, we're going to look back in 25 years and say the guys that are awesome today were awesome for their time. Yeah. You know, um, but, and that's, there's no shame in that. That's how it's supposed to be. MMA is such a young sport and it's evolving so much. It wasn't that long ago that no, no high kick, you're going to get taken down. Yeah, well, you know, we, we see how the sport is now. Oh, don't drop for leg locks. Yeah, don't drop for leg locks unless you know what you're doing. <laughs> Otherwise, watch out. But there, there's all sorts of things that you can or that you can't do that are context-based that people try to make hard and fast rules. And as far as I'm concerned and as far as I understand, the only hard and fast rules are fundamental or whether something is fundamentally sound or whether, you know, whether it kind of obeys physics. If you're trying to do something that doesn't obey physics, then you're going to have to pretty much hope that the other person has no idea what the heck it is that you're doing and or, you know, just doesn't have a solid fundamental understanding of their own. But, uh, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, Mike Tyson and, and Muhammad Ali and, you know, Floyd Mayweather are all the same person. They're all, you know, very fundamentally sound athletes. They're all in proper position. They're all doing their thing and that's, they express it differently based on, you know, the specific technical whatever that they do and their personality and their body type. But they're all equally, they're all phenomenally successful because they're fundamentally sound athletes. And it's the same thing when you see Marcelo Garcia, Colbrino, Roger Gracie, they're all incredibly fundamentally sound. That's why they're so difficult to deal with, uh, in, in my opinion. And, uh, and it's really the same in, in every sport that I've ever, that I've ever seen and that I've ever witnessed. And, uh, you know, so, when it when it comes to you know speaking personally, I, I think you know when it, a generalist, if anything I could specialize in, I would specialize in the fundamentals. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's good to have you've got to have that. Yeah, I just I will say that uh, what I think what most people believe to be the fundamentals and what the fundamentals actually are, um, in my understanding, are not the same. So that's yeah. the interesting thing. And we just we had a, a talk last week with uh, Stephen Whittier, and he he stressed that the fundamentals are not necessarily the same thing as the basics they're they're uh you know basic techniques are fine but the fundamentals are like the the structure behind that mm-hmm. i completely agree completely agree we have we have a lot of new new grapplers listening to this uh, a year or less um if somebody that with that experience level is wanting to do their first grappling tournament what advice would you give them if you, as co- as a coach to them. Oh uh, well, I, I guess uh, I remember. Uh, let's see. I remember my first uh, my first grappling tournament. I was uh, running a choke pretty quickly uh, by a guy who uh, wrestled at Old Dominion University and was competing in the beginner division. And um, <laughs> yeah, and it was a blue belt. But uh, anyway, you know, as far as I'm concerned, just recognizing that it's it's a journey, and it, you know, really at the end of the day focusing on winning, losing, you always go to win, always go to win. But what's most important is that you get out there. If you prepare properly and you get out there, that's respectable. The the people that I've always had the most respect for are the guys that had the nerve to, to step in there and put their name, put their name, their reputation, put their own neck on the line. You know, there's plenty of people that have a reputation like, oh my God, so-and-so is so good, this or that or the other. Well, who have they competed against? No, well, no one then I'm sure they're fine, but I don't really want to hear about them. Not that I don't want to, not that I don't think they can be good or they can't learn, but the, the type of people I always thought, let's say Hoyler was, I always thought was someone really, really respect worthy because, you know, even though he had the Gracie name and everything like that, he was always out there competing and competing against the best jiu-jitsu guys at that time. And that was awesome. Look at Roger, Roger Gracie, always out there competing, competing, competing. 
Marcelo Garcia competing, 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 covering in the same thing. And, uh, you know, these are the people that we, we see and we're like, oh, man, I'll bet you they were always awesome. There was a time that Marcelo Garcia sucked. That was well before I met him, that's for sure. <laughs> but there, there was a time when, when everyone was no good. And you don't become good by not doing something. There's this, like, I remember when I played baseball as a kid, you know, people like, oh, man, Ryan, you can throw really hard, but you don't hit well. Yeah, I didn't know how to hit. I had a strong arm because everyone in my family has a strong arm. I don't know why, but we do. But I had no idea how to hit, and I I hit like a 12-year-old girl. It was sad. But, uh, and not a 12-year-old girl that knows how to hit. A 12-year-old girl that does not know how to hit. And, you know, it, it was sad. And basically, you know, but it almost became a little bit of a part of my identity. Like, well, yeah, I'm good. At, I'm good. At, I'm defensively very good. And this and that are relatively good. Not very good. I was there. I would have played in the high level. But um, relatively good. But, oh, man, yeah, I guess uh, yeah, I, I should bat towards the end of the order. Well, one day I started thinking about it and, like, well, why can I throw harder? And then, I, you know, learning how to play. And, you know, my grandfather, you know, played soccer throw ball. And it was like, okay, learning, you know, understanding the process for learning something. And it was, well, does everyone have a strong arm or does everyone practice from a young age and then we're able to throw? And then I would teach one of my friends how to throw or someone would teach me how to do better. And I'd be like, oh, wait a second. This is obviously a skill thing. And then I ended up, you know, for like the last two years of high school, I don't think I cared about school. I cared about learning how to hit a baseball better. So I would sit in a computer lab and read about, you know, read about how to become a better hitter and this and that and the other thing. And I went from not being able to hit to being able to hit the ball over the fence. And was I the greatest baseball player in the world? Of course not. But was I significantly better? Absolutely. And did I break away from the, the preconceived notion that I couldn't hit the ball? Yes, it did. And, and I think that this was an incredible thing that I took with me going into jiu-jitsu, recognizing that, hey, it's a process. In the beginning, I couldn't hit for shit because I was not huge. Most of the kids that are good at stuff when we're little, like, let's say, who's the best at math when we're all little kids? The kid that's the most inclined mathematically. Who gets the best grades? The smartest kids in the class, generally speaking. Who's the best at sports? The biggest, strongest kids. So let's say, for instance, you get to man-sized at age 15, and I don't get there until age 20. When age 16, you're going to kick the shit out of me in every single sport we play, and everyone's going to say you're a great athlete, when the reality is that you got bigger, you got stronger, you got whatever earlier on. And this, it could be the same way in reverse. So what I, I guess what I would say is recognizing that everything is a process, and don't try to cheat the process. You can't do it. You can't shortcut it. You can't cheat it. You can't go around it. There's no way to be good without getting out there and competing as much as you can and or training against as many people that are as tough as you can. And just as long as they're not going to hurt you, and that's the beauty of jiu-jitsu, by the way, because I can have a match against, let's say, Colbrini when I was a purple belt. And, you know, he was the best black belt in my weight in the world, and, you know, and I was competing against him as a purple belt. What an incredible opportunity to learn. You know, did I win? No. You know, I, but was it, did I get hurt in that match? No. If, let's say, for instance, I had a boxing match, and let's say we had both been boxers, and I was a very successful up-and-coming boxer, and he was the best in the world, I would have been hospitalized. You know, so that's the nice thing about jiu-jitsu is that you can get in there against almost anyone. And unless you don't tap because you're stubborn or unless they intentionally injure you, you know, you're going to walk off that mat pretty much the same way you walked on, you know, maybe with your feelings hurt a little bit. But as long as you realize, hey, it's a process, you get out there, those are the people that are good. And those are the people that, in my experience, become the best because they have the nerve to put themselves into the fire. And there's no way that you can't tiptoe into becoming a champion. And, and again, when a champion, as far as I'm concerned, is not – you know, who's the most accomplished, who's whatever. Because let's say, for instance, I, I tried to play basketball. I was never going to be on the Lakers, man. I'm five foot ten, and I cannot jump 40 inches vertical. But I could still become the best basketball player that I could be. And as far as I'm concerned, that would be a victory for me if I was able to do that. Now, I'm not the best basketball player that I could be, 
but I'm not pissed off at Kobe Bryant for taking my spot either because it was never my spot. All that I'm saying is, that, but I could, let's say, for instance, if I had the wrong attitude, I could be, I could be pissed at him. Who the fuck is he? Why is he the one that's lucky and tall and whatever? Like, no, Kobe practiced, not only is he tall and all these things and jump high, but he's practiced basketball a billion times more than I have and way more specifically, so of course he deserves to be better. So I guess at the end of the day, recognizing that as long as I walk the path, you know, in an honorable way and make a really, really earnest effort to improve, I'll have the respect of everyone that matters, and I should have my own respect as well because I really made the earnest effort and I worked hard to become the best that I could be, however good that is. So yeah, I guess awesome. what advice should I give him? Get out and fight. Yeah, that, <laughs> I really like that advice. Let the chips fall where they may. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that's great advice. And, you know, you even kind of went back to that when we were talking a little bit earlier, like when you said, hey, I'm a four-time Abu Dhabi champion, but I should have been eight, you know, when you go to meet your maker. You know, you become the best. And what's and funny is, let's say, for instance, I was never Abu Dhabi champion, so that guy seems impressive to me. And I say, yeah. oh, my gosh, she's the best. But I don't know. Only he knows, and only his maker, yep. if he's here and exists, knows that he should have been more. That sounds like private torture to me, honestly. And, you know, we had just been talking about your your baseball career at 12 years old and talking about, uh, you know, uh, your first match when you went against a guy from Old Dominion University there. Uh, what? How did you get started in jiu-jitsu, Ryan? What, uh, what kind of interest you there? Oh, well, I'll be honest. I mean, I, I wanted to, I, I you know, I, I guess let's say, for instance, I was always interested in martial arts. I just never really knew uh, what to do from that angle. There was, I wasn't aware of any real academies. I didn't, at the time, I had no idea of the value of boxing. I feel like such a jackass. I should have been boxing since I was like 12 years old. <laughs> but uh, not to mention, it would have been nice to be in a weight class based sport early on because I'm a lot bigger and taller than, than a lot of the kids that I went to high school with. But when I was in high school, I was like five foot four, so uh, it, it would have been nice to be able to compete against uh, against other people that were the same size. But basically, you know, I didn't know what I was looking for, and you know, I remember, you know, I played baseball, I played football, I played whatever, and I was you know relatively athletic kid, and you know, I have buddies that were like you know a black belt in taekwondo or something like that, and we put the gloves on and I drop them, and not that I was great at fighting, it's just that they weren't, and you know, I was more athletic or whatever than they were. And uh, I would say, ah, well, this doesn't seem like real martial arts. And not that there's anything wrong with Taekwondo. A real Taekwondo guy would have kicked me in the head or something. But, um, you know, I, I wanted to be able to fight, not to, not to hurt people, obviously, but just because it was something that, that was interesting to me to be able to learn the mechanics of it. And also, you know, the idea, let's say, for instance, you are, I'm doing something completely unreasonable. And maybe I'm doing it to you or to someone next to you or even just someone that you see. And I'm... Brock Lesnar-sized person, and you're you, and you don't know anything about martial arts, and you're not allowed to shoot me. So you go over and you say, hey, Ryan, could you please stop that? I think you're being unreasonable. And I say, shut up, nerd, and I smack you in the face. What are you going to do about it? I would say a whole lot of nothing, because you have two choices. You can get brave and get beat the heck down, or you can or you can say nothing. But let's say, for instance, you have some level of martial arts ability. You don't need to beat the crap out of me. But it allows you to it allows you to stand your ground in a situation like that and and say what you believe needs to be said and should push come to shove do what you believe needs to be done. So as far as I was concerned, as long as I'm not going to abuse that ability, no reason not to have it. It's kind of like having a concealed carry permit on some level. Um, so that was honestly what was very attractive to me about martial arts. And uh, 
what I wanted to do uh, when I when I first walked into uh, Ronan Athletics, um, you know, in uh, Manhattan, in New York, you know, I trained with uh, my someone that was actually just visiting us, you know, yesterday. Um, even was uh, my really good friend and my first coach, Christian Montes. Um And I was training his academy and training there, and I didn't know anything about martial arts, but you know, I played high school sports and whatnot, and which compared to most people, put me on the more athletic side of things. And you know, I remember just getting beat down by a dude that was 120 pounds. Now, he didn't hurt me, but I was, like, literally manhandled by this person. I was probably, like, 150 at the time, so not big, but compared to him, relatively big. I'm, like, you know, 25% heavier than him. And uh, anyway, I thought it was the most incredible thing I'd ever seen. It was, like, this is, like, magic. I don't care about school. I was an engineering major at that time. I was like, all right, school's out. I'm trying to learn jiu-jitsu. This is incredible. I don't care if I live in a cardboard box. This is what I want to do. And... uh and just kind of went in that direction. I never envisioned competing. I didn't even know that jiu-jitsu tournaments existed, but I never envisioned competing. That was actually, um, I remember back in the day that at that point in time, like Eddie Bravo was like one of one of the guys that I paid most attention to because that was actually not long after he'd beaten Holy Gracie at, uh, at ABCC in 2003. So uh, speaking of Eddie, the people that I knew at that time, and he was, you know, one of the top American dudes. So he was someone that, that I definitely was very interested in at that time. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, that was all I really wanted to do, and it's all I've done since. You mentioned uh, being able to defend yourself against uh, a crazy person, basically, or in a situation where you don't actually want to hurt them or 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 get yourself hurt. You should. There's a video out there. I, I don't know if you've seen it or not. This this guy's at a restaurant with his friends, and this other guy is like, going crazy. Have you? Have you? And, and he and he's able to take that situation <laughs> safely. Obviously, I'm joking. Um, I'd imagine most people have seen the video of you in the in the restaurant. Um, it's been what, a couple of years since that happened. Uh, yeah, that was in November 2011. I'm sure you've had on the Jersey Shore of all places. Who could have ever had a fight probably <laughs> off on the Jersey Shore? Who would ever thought it would happen there? <laughs> I know it's the last place. <laughs> um, when, when something like that happens, you know, it's it's you're living in the moment. And, and you're reacting the way that you've you've thought about, and, um, and and you know we've all had little scenarios in our head. Um, after the incident happens and it, it's over, you run those through your mind a little bit. Anything you would have done differently in that situation, or I guess we should, we should um, set the scene up a little bit. What happened? Okay, well, basically, uh, you know, I guess the, this uh, this guy came in off the boardwalk. We were uh, we were at a small like Italian restaurant, and this guy came in off the boardwalk with his buddy. His buddy ended up being very reasonable. Um, and, and a pretty nice guy, although not nice enough to stop his friend from being a jackass, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, you know, they came in off the boardwalk and they were kind of, not they, it was more the one guy. And I guess his, his, the bigger friend of his was, uh, was pretty tuned up as well because, you know, he was, uh, having a good time with the entire thing rather than recognizing that it was a situation that was about to pop off on some level. But, um, you know, I guess they came in off the boardwalk and they were asking people for a lighter and they came up to our table and it, it was me and my friend Seth who'd uh, just gotten, uh, um, just got hip labrum surgery. So he was, uh, he'd just gotten off of crutches. And, uh, then there was Dave Jacobs of the rock BJJ. Um, and, uh, so he was sitting there just kind of ignoring the guy. He's like, I'm going to eat my sandwich. Forget this guy, which I actually thought was pretty hilarious. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> And then there was uh, it was my girlfriend Jen, and then there was a little girl named uh, Alex, uh, a very like a ten year old or eleven year old sitting at the table. And uh, you know this guy decided to come over and started asking for a lighter. And I'm sorry, man, none of us smoked. And uh, started to become kind of belligerent and started.
started, you know, cursing at us. I'm like, look, I'm really sorry. I can't really help you. And then he said one more time, you know, what the fuck is the matter with you? Why, you know, you don't got nothing. What do you mean you got nothing? I'm like, look, you know, I'm going to tell you one last time. We've got nothing. You should leave before I make you leave. And then, um, that's kind of where the video picks up and he gets in, you know, kind of gets into my space a little bit. And it, if I would have done things a little bit differently, one, if it had been a little bit of a different setting, I, you know, I would have absolutely handled it very, very differently to be honest. Um, but it was fortunate to have, you know, a table full of people behind me. So, um, you know, it was relatively speaking safer to, to put hands on this person in a way that wouldn't hurt him. Um, you know, let's say if I'd have been out by myself walking down the street and this happened, I can't say that I would have been as gentle. Um, but, uh, just because I wouldn't have had the luxury of having, you know, other people around to stop things from getting out of hand. Yeah. And, uh, what, what did concern me a little bit was that he kept reaching towards his back pocket with his right hand and, you know, he was absolutely within arm's reach. So from a self-defense perspective, you know, like, uh, it was not the safest thing because he would have probably stuck me with something, you know, before I saw it coming. But that was one of those ones where judgment call at the time, you know, I figured that walking in off the boardwalk and this person has got a buddy and the likelihood of me being stabbed is limited. And I don't want to take the knife that I've got sitting right next to me and stick him with it because that would be completely inappropriate. Um, you know, I was able to just, as soon as he got, you know, as soon as he got within arm's reach and threatened to bite my nose off, um, you know, I kind of felt like you know, the situation was most certainly going to escalate. So I might as well let it escalate in a way that I'm comfortable with in a way that I can control this person so that, he's not a danger to me or anyone else. Um, and that's when I ended up double legging him and then sitting on him and then letting him up. And then he, I tried to give him back his jacket and get him out of there before the cops came. So he wouldn't get arrested. And I didn't realize he'd been arrested the night before, or rather earlier that night. They let him go. Oh. But, uh, yeah. So anyway, he threw his jacket and I got to pick it back up, try to give it to him again. He threw it again and picked it back up, try to give him again. Then he slapped his buddy in the face. <laughs> and then, uh, I thought we were finally going to get him out the door. I opened the door to get him out there, not, not to fight him, but just to get him outside and lock the door. And then, uh, you know, my friend said, you know, asked him to leave. And that's when he turned towards my buddy. And, uh, he, you know, when he was threatening me, I didn't mind quite as much when he started threatening my friend who just had surgery. That was when I yoked him up and snatched him through the door um, as soon as I could. Unfortunately, he smashed his head into the door on the way out. And that's where he ended up with that big old gash. And that's why I had some blood on me. And, uh, and that's actually why I choked him because... Uh, the second that I put him through the door and I hit his head, I said, ah, shit, if I let him go, he's going to be really pissed and he's going to swing on me. And if he swings on me, I'm going to knock him out and I don't want to do that. So, um, I might as well choke him super quick. And then when he wakes up, he'll calm down. And, uh, you know, it was fortunate to, to have the situation kind of go the way that it did. The cops ended up taking him away and then they let him go again. And then, uh, he came back <laughs> in and, and uh, man, yeah, like best, best slash worst cops ever most permissive people obviously yeah. fighting is just not a big deal to them they're like yeah this nonsense pops off every 10 minutes but um yeah then the guys actually came back in and I was like oh Jesus Christ round two and then all they wanted to do was shake hands and hug and whatever else so they were actually pretty nice uh, you know all things considered and uh, I'm really glad that it was able to kind of navigate that situation without causing any serious injury to anybody because what I was really concerned about honestly was, was having someone else not at our table handle it because if if you think about it, let's say I'm a ten year old and I want to fight you, you're not going to kick the crap out of me. I'm a ten year old. I'm not threatening to you. If I'm a giant scary person and you're forced to fight me, you're either going to get hurt or you're going to hurt me pretty badly, probably, yeah. because you're justifiably terrified. You know, like if you really thought that I was going to do you horrible harm. So uh, basically, the way that I was thinking about it at the time was, all right, maybe I could be the one to step in here and, and solve this problem. Because if the 
very uh, gentle-looking people at the table next to us end up doing it, they're either going to get beat up by this guy or they're going to end up breaking his head open with a candlestick or something like that, and neither of those would be a good outcome. Boy, I just wonder if today that guy realized how lucky he was uh, starting trouble with a table with you, Seth, even though he was injured, and Dave Jacobs. That's uh, uh, death wish. He, he got... Incredibly lucky. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not too scary though. I think Dave Jacobs. He was the. He was the calm and cool one. He was the icy cold one. I would watch out for Dave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, it was interesting listening to you tell the story. Um, it's not a grappling match. It's not even a fight, like MMA style fight. You were concerned about the knife on your table. His his reaching into his like behind his back, what he might have in his pocket and stuff like that. There's a lot more going on. You're concerned about the safety of your friends that you're with. You're concerned about his friend. There's a, I mean, it's that's all things to consider. That typically, when you train jujitsu, you don't worry about that. But it's good to have a, a the martial arts behind jujitsu to, to have those in your head when it comes to a time like that. Oh, absolutely. I, I think that's the thing where when people talk about uh, martial arts being different than self defense, you know, I think a lot of times they're, they're completely full of it, or the angle they take. They're like, oh, man, in jiu-jitsu, you wouldn't use that jiu-jitsu in real life. You're like, I will use jiu-jitsu and beat up 99.9% of people that ever walk this earth. But what's very, very different is, like you said, the, the, how it starts and how it all plays out and whether or not there could be other people involved, other concerns, weapons, things like that. So it's almost like the differences between, at least in my understanding, my admittedly limited understanding, between martial arts and self-defense lie almost entirely in, in the psychological realm, not in the... Uh, not in the, the physical, tactical. I mean, obviously, you know, there are certain things that you can do in a, in a life or death situation, but I've seen a lot of fights in my life, and I've never once seen someone go two knuckles deep on an eye gouge. I mean, not only would it be, you know, very, <laughs> very difficult to justify that sort of thing, yeah. but like, psychologically, that's a serious line to cross. You know, so when people talk about, like, the physical tact, oh, I would eye gouge, I'm like, shut up. No, you wouldn't. You know, and not to mention, it's like if someone really wanted to eye gouge you and you were good at grappling, they would not have the opportunity. Um, same thing. It's like if, let's say, for instance, Manny Pacquiao and I get into an eye poking contest, it's going to last eight seconds, and I'm going to be blind. <laughs> it's going to be terrible. But um, you know, but that's because he can he can you know touch me in the face anytime he wants to, and I can't do that to him. But let's say, for instance, it, what if I suckered him when he wasn't looking? Could I knock him out? I have no doubt because he's not a big dude, and he's still a man. So if you hit him really hard, it hurts him. Same way, if you put Roger Gracie in a rear naked choke, if he lets you do it. He goes to sleep, and he's not getting out. Now, he's not that accommodating, generally speaking, but he's not mad. He's just incredibly, incredibly skillful. So just understanding, like, uh, you know, I guess the subtle differences, you know, in the technical stuff is important, but really, really realizing just how you could be set up, how someone could try to sneak you or do this or that or the other thing, I, I guess matters. But, you know, again, I'm no self-defense expert. But you did handle the situation very well. That I, I, there's more than one way to lose a fight. You you could have he'll hook that guy, and then you find yourself in court. You know, six months later, you I mean, you got sued and lost much money. You that's a way to lose a fight. You know, you live and then you get sued. No doubt, that's a loss. Or you could you could have been you could have not you could have done it a little too quickly maybe and not. I mean, the video is nice because it's totally his fault. But you could have been yeah, hung for it and, online. And even, and, let's say, for instance, let's say you get away with it. Let's say you beat someone half to death and then you get away with it before the cops come. You're, I mean, for, do you really want to inflict that type of harm on someone just just because they were getting it? Like, because, again, let's say martial arts is funny. Everyone thinks they can fight, but obviously they can't. You know, 
like if you go on the internet, you'd think that everyone could knock everybody out. And, oh yeah, well you may be a blue belt, but real life people in street fights. Like shut the fuck up. It was like what Kevin Casey was saying about uh, Keenan Cornelius. Like get out of here. I think Keenan probably beat him in MMA too. But um, you know, it's like. Uh, and again, that doesn't mean Kevin's not a tough guy, but, you know, Keenan, I guarantee you, could take what he's doing in jiu-jitsu and be quite successful and be quite dangerous. And also, like, regular people can't fight. They play fight as well as they play hockey, and that's yeah. not very well. And it's like, uh, you know, let's say, for instance, I'm walking down the street, and the other funny thing about fighting is that, you know, most people that do it don't necessarily look that rough. So Kobe Bryant, at least, is going to be six foot six or whatever, so I'll be like, holy crap, do you play basketball, man? Even if I didn't know who he was. But let's say, for instance, I challenge him to a basketball game to the death. You know, if he's a cool guy, he's not going to accept. He's going to be like, look, Ryan, you got to understand, you have no idea what you just asked, and you don't want it. You know? And so it's funny. Like, would you even, if you could get away with it, let's say, again, whether you're morally justified, legally justified, or rather legally justified or not, let's say, for instance, you either the law was on your side or the cops were not going to get there in time. Would you, I mean, I wouldn't have wanted to lay that guy out and leave him in a pool of blood. Like, that'd be horrible, man. He has, yeah. uh, he's drunk, he's being a jackass, but he has no idea what he's getting himself into. And it would just be completely inappropriate to hurt this person. So like you said, even if, even if you, you know, you could, even if you win the fight legally, even if you win the fight, and let's say you could lose the fight, you know, in the law, you could lose the fight by getting hurt. You could also lose the fight by losing a chunk of your humanity by just beating Absolutely. someone half to death for no reason. You know, and, and I wouldn't think that that would be a beneficial thing either. And that's another one of those reasons where it's like, hey, cultivate a series of skills so my only options are not do nothing or sport. Try to eye gouge you. Absolutely. That's, and that's the beauty of Jiu-Jitsu. You were, I mean, the first time you took him down, got Mount very, you know, immediately, and you negotiated with him. That's, yep. That, right. If you were strictly a boxer, the negotiation phase, the negotiation phase would be a lot different. You know, yeah, I don't know that, if you pepper him with true. a jab and say, right. do you want to keep doing this? <laughs> yeah, that's, maybe we get the point across, so I don't know. Like, I, 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 what do you call it? Uh, I, I, I actually get to train in the same gym sometimes as uh, Gary Russell Jr., who's about to fight for the uh, fight for the world title in uh, against Vasily Lomachenko, and he's staggeringly good, and he's like 140 pounds and hits harder than anyone I've ever, you know, laced up gloves with by a lot. And... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think if he jabbed me once, I would just completely reconsider anything that I was thinking about doing. <laughs> That's funny. You mentioned um, yourself as a blue belt, lo- losing your fir- first match to uh, to a choke. Um, oh, actually, I was a white belt. Oh, yeah, oh for competing against a blue belt. Beginner Nogi division. I got smoked. I think that match lasted for about 40 seconds, and I was all disappointed. Then I remember walking back to the hotel being like, oh, oh man. Then I said, wait a minute. Why am I disappointed? Of course I suck. I'm a beginner. Eh, let's get back out there. And then That's I managed awesome. to submit four people the next day. And wow. then I got choked. In the choke. I got choked too, but it was like, I was just, what the victory was, at least for me, was that I got back out there after being disappointed. Yeah. You know, that it was like, ah, hey, you got beat up. Hey, just oh, the only thing that would be a shame here is to quit. Yeah. If it were easy, everybody would do it. You're not supposed to always win. Let's talk about um, you as a, as a blue belt a little bit. I, everybody... I, I, you caught my radar when you were a purple belt, um, you know, tapping a lot of black belts out. But a lot of people get their blue belts, and it's a tough, it's a tough belt, I think. And they they end up quitting. They 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 get discouraged that it's hard. You know, other blue belts are way tougher than they are. The white belts are still able to get them a little bit. It's very discouraging yep. sometimes for the blue belts. What was it like for you? Oh well, and for me, uh, you know, I, I was competing a lot and there are plenty of people particularly a blue belt you know I mean I won a, I won a lot of matches I, you know, I won like something like 120 matches but I lost a bunch too you know um, you know at purple belt I started to turn the corner a little bit 
but um, but blue belts, are, blue belts are, tough, are definitely a tough belt, you know. But I think the biggest thing is just kind of maintaining the proper attitude and the proper expectation, you know, um, and and recognizing that it's all part of the process. Like it's no different than when people get a black belt. Sometimes you see that they they hit the ground running and they do great, but then no matter how good you are, you're, there are guys that are black belt forever. So you could be the best lower belt coming out of brown belt ever. But the reality is, is that Roger Gracie is still out there, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, let's say, for instance, you go and compete against him. Of course, you're going to try to win. But if, if, let's say, you lose and you get all depressed and bummed out, all it is is a belt. A belt is subjective, too, and that's really important to remember and understand. It doesn't mean that I'm perfect. It doesn't mean that I'm better. Me putting on a black belt, I got no better. I would be no better or no worse if I put on a white belt tomorrow. And I would, you know, and I'm just as vulnerable. And it's very, very important to understand. If I make a mistake, a blue belt can beat me. There's nothing to say that that won't happen. All I have to do is focus on the things that are inside of my control and as best I can, and then, you know, we'll see We'll see how it goes. But uh, making sure that, um, you know, that, that really I don't start to think of myself, oh, I'm a blue belt, therefore this whole sect of people has no business ever fucking scoring on me or this or that or the other. You know, really, I, I felt like, uh, you know, when I was at Purple, I had a very specialized game and I beat a lot of people, and obviously, you know, I lost as well. But, um, you know there were certain things that I was full on terrible at. If you would yell really loudly, I'd probably fall off to the top position. Like certainly at blue belt, it was like that. And, uh, you know, I was dangerous in a way that most blue belts weren't. Like I, I was tapping brown belts and whatnot when I was a blue belt in competition. Some, not, not really high level brown belts or anything, but, uh, but I was, there was things that I was just terrible at, but if a white belt put me in that position, I would be terrible, you know, and they would probably submit me. So just making sure that, that you have the proper attitude and the proper understanding of saying, Hey, you know, I can only control what I can control. I'm going to focus on my technical development and I'm doing the best that I can and I'm never quitting. And then, you know, the chips will fall where they may and over time I'll develop skill. But if if I'm frustrated, if, I, if I'm on an emotional roller coaster day to day because I'm like, yeah, I tapped this purple belt. Well, who cares? Maybe I got him in my best position or this or that and I happen to do well today. Or maybe, you know, this isn't something that's his good position or maybe he or she is just working on something different and that's why I was able to get him. And then, oh, God damn it, I got tapped by a white belt. Now, now who knows what people will say? Who cares what people say? You can't really control any of that. All you can control is your own level of effort and your own focus. And then at the end of the day, do you do martial arts for yourself or do it for other people? You know, I would hope that, that everyone, you know, again, although they care about their friends and their teammates and their family, at the end of the day, they, it's a personal journey. And, you know, all that really matters is that you're better than you were the day, the day before, and you're not as good as you're going to be the day after tomorrow. That's awesome. Um, what do you have out there for people if they, if they want to get more from you? Oh, man, well, uh, you know, I, I really hope, you know, we've been able to put out DVDs, uh, like you said, seven times, and I, I'm actually a little shocked that it's gotten that far, to be honest. But, uh, you know, we have things covering, uh, let's see, the triangle, 50-50 position, uh, you know, the deep half guard, the back control, let's see, arm triangles, um, the inverted guard, and, and also guard passing. And, and I think we're going to be doing one more series, maybe two, um, you know, over the, other, over the end of the summer. and probably to be released later on this year towards Christmas. Yeah. Uh, I think that'll probably be that, honestly. I mean, although I thought that last time. <laughs> but, uh, do, you, do you know what those are going to be know, about? I guess if people still enjoy it, you know, honestly, that's incredibly flattering to me that, that if anyone, you know, has got something out of the DVDs, because I, I really do my best on them, and I try to teach in a way that, that has helped me and, you know, my own understanding and has helped some of the students at the academy. But I know, you know, I know the way that I teach or the way that I go about things is not for everyone, and I drone on and talk about all sorts of random crap, and I forget what I was originally talking about. So, if people can solve, if people can sift through the nonsense, I hope that there's some good info. Do you know what you're going to make those DVDs on? Um, I'm kind of up in the air at the moment. Do you have any thoughts? 
I, you know, um, I asked you a little bit about escaping positions, and that you know, you say a lot in your other DVDs. If somebody has mount, I'm done. Like the the, the guys you're you're competing with are such a high level that the mount is a finishing position, and if you escape, it's it's your it's, it's their fault that you got out basically. Right. But at the lower levels, escapes for me. Um, escapes that's confidence like if I know if somebody has me in sight control and I could bust out of there in a few seconds that's yep. my confidence goes through the roof you know and, oh for sure so there's I mean you can't if you if I escape within three seconds you can't pass my guard you get, you know, I can't you get, pass your guard and control you I can't really finish you yeah so I mean I'm I'm, I'm huge on escapes it's it maybe wouldn't sell as good as, as some of the offensive attack things but but for me escapes have been been uh been a lot of confidence, added a lot of confidence to my game, but uh, cool. I'm sure I mean, whatever you I, want I to put know. out. I mean, I would do my best. I, I try to be as defensively sound as possible. I mean, I, obviously there's there's much better defensive people out there. You know, probably better damn near everything than me out there. But um, but yeah, I mean, I would absolutely be happy to try to do my best on something like that. If you think that there would be, you know, if if, it, if there would be demand for it and people want it, you know, um, you know, when it comes to DVDs, it's not that necessarily demand is is drives the only thing because I'm, I'm certainly not independently wealthy and I don't you know, make an immense amount of money off of the DVDs or anything like that. So as long as people, as long as you get, there'd be value there, then, then I would absolutely try to do it. And if people think that I would be appropriate for it, I would give them my best shot. You know, uh, of all your DVDs, I got the I got the triangle one first, and I, I knew that one was going to be good for my game. But when I got the uh, deep half, I didn't think it was going to help me much. I just I liked your I liked your style of teaching and the way you explain things. But I like deep half card now. I mean, that's the way you explained it to me. It's like that's a fun position, and it and it's I do sweep from there very well. It's not I, I don't hang out there and, and and wait. You know, if I earn the deep half, I earn the sweep. So. Um, Shoot, I'm in on anything you want to put out there, and same with the fifty-fifty guys. I have a hard time passing, but since since your DVD, I I don't have a trouble usually getting through some through fifty-fifty. I really hope it helps. I was another thing I was thinking was it was kind of doing like an updated fifty-fifty DVD because I mean I want to first put that one out. It was in two thousand nine, and obviously I did my best on it, you know. But the position has come quite a long way since then, and certainly my understanding of it has come quite a long way. And I was wondering if I might be able to do a better job, you know, a second go around, maybe in the gi this time um, yeah. than I did the first time. It's a kind of, not not like necessarily, it doesn't erase the things in the past, but kind of an update. And, uh, yeah, I, I was really happy that the deep half one, that people got something out of that. Because I think, you know, if you get all the way underneath me in, in, in half, you know, that's a... Uh, you should you should score a great percentage of the time. And one thing I do think is interesting, you know, um, obviously about a lot of things is, you know, like I guess everything in history seems to be pretty cyclical. And, uh, you know, jiu-jitsu is no different. A lot of the things that are in style now uh, were out of style a little while before and this and that. And kind of these half started to go away a little bit. Obviously, you've got your great half-guard guys like Lucas Ledge, Jeff Glover, Celsino, Jay McKenzie out there. But, uh you know, everyone's kind of hopped up on a Barambolo and things like that right now, which as a result means that although the Barambolo is a great position, it's going to lose, it's going to decrease in effectiveness over time simply because of everyone's hyper-awareness of it. Yeah. You know, and things like deep path, I'm, you know, I'm envisioning will be kind of making a comeback the same way with Spider Guard, I was expected to do better. Because granted, it's a gi-only thing, but there's only a couple guys out there that really, really do it at a super high level. And they're freaking awesome. Like Michael Lange and like Kovarina has a great Spider Guard, obviously. Um, you know, Homo Loba Hall, and it's just not something that, like, that has retained its effectiveness at a super high level for a really long time because it's never become popular. You know, like, uh, people still haven't figured it out in a lot of ways. Obviously, those guys figured it out. But, um, it, uh, yeah, it's interesting, but I'm, I'm definitely, 
it's I'm interested to see uh, you know kind of some of the future progressions of competitive jiu-jitsu and see how the cycles of it all go. And uh, you know, again, like people are starting to pull out leg locks in MMA, it's, it's no different, you know. So I'll be kind of uh, kind of interested to see. But yeah, if you, if you think I'll do my best on, on maybe a defensive oriented one and, and try to go there, and uh, I'll ask all my buddies for extra tips and stuff like that. <laughs> that would be. I mean, you say in your in your DVDs, you know, you're trained to beat the best, and and and, and it, there, there's a great feeling of, of beating somebody who's better than you. Would you agree to that? Oh, for sure. But Absolutely. I'm, I mean, like, particularly when you have a lot of respect for someone's skill and ability, those are the people that you want to shoot for. I mean, it's no one No one likes to be the bully that just tries to go, you know, and find people that they know they're going to win against. There's nothing There's nothing there. Even when you win, and even if people kiss your ass after winning, like existentially, you just think, eh, that wasn't <laughs> what I wanted. I'd rather get out there against someone great, fight my ass off, fight well and lose, than go and beat a bunch of people that, you know, that I knew that I could win against. And then, you know, when you have the nerve to do that first one where you're going to get out there and fight the best no matter what, a lot of times you win, you know, and then those yeah. are the ones that matter. And, Ryan, uh, we're talking about your DVDs now. Where would um, our listeners uh, go online there to uh, purchase them? Uh, I think that you can get them uh, off of Amazon or in eBay, but, but I know that okay. the... Uh, the main company is actually World Martial Arts, and the website is www.groundfighter.com. And, uh, you know, Paul Vealy, um, the owner of World Martial Arts, produces them. You know, we've always had a really good working relationship, and, and I think he does a really good job. So, uh, yeah, if people have any interest there, they can check them out. And if anybody ever feels like, you know, making the trek down to Northern Virginia or D.C. and coming down to train, they're always welcome. Oh, that's awesome. Cool. And how would somebody get a hold of you? Well, I'm trying to construct some sort of bat signal. <laughs> but that will actually have to work. Even if even if you pointed at the sky, I'm not going to show up. And, That's but, funny. Um, not that not that. Yeah, I was about to say. What that, if we just put a big fifty in the air? A big yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like at a certain, you'd stop. You'd stop using it, man. Like if, if every single time you used that, I showed up. Like Jesus Christ, get this guy out of here. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, people can get a hold of us. Our website is www.5050bjj.com. Um, you know, you can look us up, and, and anyone from any affiliation is welcome at any time. You know, obviously, you know, we have an open-door policy. It's great to train with anybody. And, uh, yeah, man, we're just trying to learn and, and do our best. If you like to train hard and, and have fun, and you know, maybe we'll be a place that you can enjoy. Wow, sounds great. Well, uh, we thank you for your time. This has been awesome. Oh, no, the pleasure's been all mine. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Ryan. Yep. All right, that wraps up our interview with Ryan Hall. Uh, that was a lot of fun. He, you know, he mentioned uh, it kind of sometimes being hard to him, hard for him to find a fight or f- find a guy to stick with him. Why do you think that is, Gary? Well, you know, uh, first of all, he's so talented, and uh, I think a lot of people are afraid of that talent. Uh, you know, you're probably going to lose, uh, probably a good chance at that. But second of all, after listening to Ryan talk, is uh, he'll put you in a triangle. He'll let you go to get some more mad time, beat you up a little bit put you back in a triangle, let you go, beat you up some more, and then he'll hear the uh, one minute left in the match, and then he'll finish you. Um, but, yeah, I thought that was kind of neat hearing hearing him talk about that. But, uh, you know, you know your skill level is incredible when you can do that with somebody. Yeah, and that's a, that's a brutal way to lose a fight, you know, just be, have that guy have control the entire time. You know, I, I don't want to fight Ren Hall anyways, but if he's going to take me down and, and lock up a submission – 
okay, that's you know that's not such a bad way to lose. But if he's going to take me down, nearly lock up a submission, let me go and just continue with the beating, and then do it again, and then let me go, and then do it, that's brutal. You know, I'm going to drop out of that thing. <laughs> so. But the good thing is you can say you've gotten a ring with uh, – or on the mat with uh, arguably one of the best ever there on the mat. You know, Ryan is uh, is uh, one of the best ever, and, and uh, I don't think uh, anybody would say anything different. Yeah. So definitely a big thanks to him for hopping on and, and talking with us. I hope you guys got a lot from the interview. Uh, we definitely learned a lot talking with him. Yeah, definitely, uh, you know, uh, check out his uh, his DVDs. Uh, he's got, like you said, another one coming up. You know, hopefully somewhere around December. You know, go out and show support. You know, uh, and get some from Ryan. And, and as Ryan said, uh, boy, if you're ever in uh, Falls Church, uh, Virginia, there, uh, stop by. And he says he welcomes everybody. And how can you go wrong getting to train with him and his team? Yep, he's got the open door. That's a, that's a great policy to have. Um, if you guys ever need to get a hold of us, uh, email us at bjjbrick at gmail.com if you've got an article to send us or uh, any questions or comments. We we love hearing from you guys. Or even if you just have a, a teammate that you train with or, or your coach or somebody you'd like us to interview, uh, definitely uh, let us know. Uh, if you have a, uh, somebody that make a great story, we'd love to interview them also. That's a good idea, Gary. That's what I'm known for, Byron. Yeah, absolutely. If you, uh, if you want to swing by the website, it's bjjbrick.com. Uh, we also have a Facebook page. I think that about wraps it up. We'll uh, hit you guys up next week. Ryan Hall will be giving us our quote of the week. You guys had a good time, my friends. Good. Take care, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. A little before we get started here, we both, uh, when you put out that first DVD, uh, I don't know if it's the first one, the Triangle DVD, yep. we spent so much time, like uh, me, Gary and I, and maybe two or three other guys, we, we brought a TV into the gym and we just drilled the hell out of that thing, man. That was an awesome Did it help at all? Oh, my gosh, yes. Oh, man, it helped big time. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, you know, you know, just the stop and curl, you know, method. And, you know, just, uh, you know, the big thing is your videos, your DVDs are so different than anybody else because you just don't show a move. You know, you talk about it. You explain it. You know, you talk about methodologies and everything. And and I tell you, since that, since that first one, you know, we've, Byron and I have watched every one, and, and we've done the same thing as we did with that one on, on the rest of them. So you, you've got the best out there, bar none, in my opinion. Oh, man, thank you guys so much. I really I really appreciate it. I mean, I feel like I learned, you know, particularly I'm not, I'm not like crazy strong, crazy huge or anything like that. And it's, I always felt like it, unless I understood what was going on, I was going to have a hard time kind of turning it into a strategy game and whatnot as opposed to like uh, just uh, back and forth, you know, size and strength versus athleticism kind of thing. And yeah. man, if it's been able to help, I'm, I'm really, really glad. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for, for making those. And we'll talk about those for sure during the interview if you want to. 